step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. My guest tonight, Diane Valere, worked two decades for a top luxury re- retailer and then traded fashion accessories for accessories to murder. I love that. She started her own detective agency at the age of 10 and has maintained a passion for shoes, clues, and clothes ever since. Diane writes five humorous mystery series, the award-winning Samantha Kid series, the Madison Knight series, the national best-selling and lefty-nominated uh, costume shop mysteries, the material witness mysteries, and this is a new one, the Sylvia Stryker outer space mysteries, because cozies, uh, that has cozies that are out of this world. Anyway, her latest book, which comes out next week, is my favorite title of any book so far this year, Panty Raid. A Samantha Kid Humorous Mystery. Welcome, Diane Valer. Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, so, people probably saw, because I put up, uh, after I put up uh, your name incorrectly, because I don't know how to spell, um, on Facebook, I just put up Panty Raid Friday. I mean, let's just get right to it. Panty Raid Friday. So, people uh, listening in for some softcore porn, you might be disappointed. But uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about tell us a bit about Samantha Kid and whose panties get raided. Well, Samantha Kid is a former fashion buyer um, turned amateur sleuth, and this is book eight in the series. Every one of the books in the series kind of deals with an aspect of the fashion industry. So this one sends her to the intimate apparel market. It was supposed to be in France, but that version of the book did not work out. I was halfway through it, and, and she wasn't cooperating, and I had to scrap the whole thing. We, we negotiated mm. a deal. And so I started it over, and she's now in Las Vegas. So the Panty Raid is in Las Vegas at the Intimate Apparel Market. Well, uh, believe me, that's not the first Panty Raid in Las Vegas, so I don't think anything to worry about. I'm sure it's not. <laughs> so, but, you know, the fun this... thing about that series is it's um, – Fashion is such a superficial, you know, a lot of people see it as a superficial industry, and it's all about what people want you to think of them because it's all exterior, so it makes a really good industry for a mystery because it's all about peeling back the layers and finding out what people are hiding, and, and you know, so it works very well. And going into the underwear aspect of it is right down to the core. It's that same issue. It's <laughs> down to basics, strict bare, you know, it's, it's all that stuff. There's nothing left after the undies. So, That's right. 
as you said, uh, this is your eighth uh, Samantha Kid mystery. Here are the titles of the other seven. Designer Dirty Laundry, Buyer Beware, The Brim Reaper, Some Like It, Hout, I don't even know how, it's Hot Cuisine. I don't know how to say that. Grand Theft Retro, <laughs> Pearls Gone Wild, and Cement Stilettos. Um, all very catchy uh, titles. Uh, how long does it take you to come up with the, the title, and how evocative are they of the story? I come up with the title first, and, and I'm a pantser. I, I don't know anything about the book. I come up with the title. In fact, I have titles for, like, the next three books in the series, so I know there's going to, you know, I'm going to continue to write them because I like the title so much. And the title informs what the book's going to be about. So that's how I, I got Panty Raid, and I knew it would be about the intimate apparel market. The Brim Reaper is about hats. Uh, Cement Stilettos is about the mafia and shoes. So it kind of, you know, the title clicks right into what the mystery is going to be about. The mafia and shoes, they go right together. They do, um, don't they? Well, actually, <laughs> I'm not better to say something. <laughs> I went to school with somebody. I went to school with somebody who's who owned a shoe business, and I won't go any further. Um <laughs> Or should they're a shoe manufacturer, but I'm definitely not going to say anything else. Uh, so, but how long is it? So this is interesting because you can't even have the book. See, for me, I don't get a title until I'm, I'm sometimes I'm done with the book and then I have to figure out a title. So, but I'm helped. I'm informed by the, the stuff that I've written. You have to come up with this title and then write the whole book. So how long does it take you to come up with a title generally? Um, not long. I think that, that they kind of pop into my head at random times. And once one clicks and I really like it, then I have to write it down someplace so I don't forget it for the future. And I, the Samantha Kid and the Madison Knight books are both pretty easy that way. The Madison Knight series is my Doris Day loving sleuth, so all the titles wink at different Doris Day movies. So that, again, once I pick a title, I know the book's going to wink at whatever that movie is, so that helps inform the book as well. Um, other series that I've written, they have never kept the title that I wrote the book under, the working title. So that's been a little, that's been the opposite experience for me. Never? Never. Um, wow. Suede to Rest, I think that book had six different titles. And my, my, the one that made me the most sad, I think, was Silk Stockings. I wrote it. It's about the uh, beauty pageant. And I wrote it called Satin Worshippers, mm. and they did not like that. And I really, I really thought that was a great title. I do too. And but it went, <laughs> they went with Silk Stockings because that used to be a TV series filmed here in San Diego. Yes, and and I love the TV series, so I was fine with that. It's a you know cheesy TV series, but it's fun. Um, so you've she's now you've got eight eight books in this series already. And of course, she's not yeah. a uh, she's not a in police. She's not in law enforcement. She's not right. really even a private investigator. Um, right. How do you avoid the Cabot Cove syndrome, or do you even care about it? And the Cabot Cove, for those I'm sure who may not you know are not as old as I am, that's the uh, um, old uh, what the hell's the name of that series? Murder She Wrote. Murder She Wrote. Where the protagonist, played by um, whatever her name Lansing. Used to have she was an amateur sleuth by um, happenstance, where she was, you know, it was a small little town, and pretty they were killing uh, off a body a week, twenty-two uh, weeks a year. So, how do you avoid, um, or do you care about that? Well, I I do care about it. Um, the series is set in Pennsylvania. It's set in the town where I grew up, 
and she, in fact, lives in the house that I grew up in. Nice. And I, you know, I just, you know, it's that whole wanting to go home again thing. I just kind of gave that to her. But I, early books, obviously, there's the, the, her and the police detective, and he wants her out of the picture. And, and she's kind of a curious person. And, mm-hmm. you know, I went, when I was a buyer, I once took a personality test and discovered that my profile matched up very closely to a detective profile. There was like one letter off and I don't even remember what the letters were, but I realized that there is a very similar skill set. There is that whole analytical side, there's creative thinking, there's determining patterns and, and things like that, that I was able to take that she would know and apply that to evidence. And in the early books, it was someone she knew was involved, so that gave her a reason to get involved. But I did kind of have a, I think it was book four or book five, I did just flat out address between her and the detective why, that, that crime is on the rise in this town and that that's why he came to work in this town. And he doesn't like her nosing around and things, but there, there is, he can't deny the fact that this is part of the town, that it's, it's not going away. So this book was different because I got her out of town. And part of the reason mm-hmm. it didn't work when I tried to write it in Paris was because I don't know how they conduct an investigation in France. And I knew if I tried to make that all up, I would be so far off that it would probably interrupt the reading experience. And at least keeping her in the States, I had an idea what might happen. So I could, even though it was a different town, I could still do like a fish out of water thing. But she kind of understood a little bit what questions the police would ask, who, what she would be able to get away with, how to cooperate, or what, how she could find out information even though it wasn't her town. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to be able to, to get her out of town for that exact reason. Did you ever think about like New York and Fashion Week? I did. I, um, I, she, her whole backstory is that she used to work in New York and she left that job to move back to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I have a short story set in New York around Fashion Week, and that was kind of fun. But I felt I just felt I like the small town aspect. I like that whole. I guess it is a little bit of the Cabot Cove thing. It's a little bit of you know normal people, but what are they hiding? Right. I, I was thinking. I was thinking for this book, taking her out of her her town, her 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 hometown, to a different place. But um, you obviously captured with Vegas. Vegas is an exciting place. Um, so you talked a little bit about your uh, background, which is uh, you were a buyer, and we don't need to name the um, chain, or you can if you want, I don't care, um, for a long time. And how did you mm-hmm. go? Now, we we already know from your bio that you, like me, I had a detective agency when I was a kid, too. I had a little <laughs> telephone and everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rotary dial when I was a kid. But, yeah. um <laughs> I had like I think I had like a little desk blotter too, so I was you know I was I didn't solve any crimes, but I had a nice desk, nicer than I have now. Um, that's you know it's all illusion. That's right. That's right. My entire life has been an illusion. Um, <laughs> so uh, how do you get from fashion buyer to uh, best-selling cozy author? I have always loved reading mysteries and I I loved reading when I was a kid I loved reading mysteries Trixie Belden is a favorite of mine um, you know Nancy Drew the three investigators and Connie Blair those are the ones that I really connected to and so even 
as I went to work in the, I also always liked fashion. I always was into clothes. So even as I went to work, I still always liked mysteries, and I read mysteries in my spare time. And I think as I continued to progress in my career, I started realizing that I wasn't completely happy in that job. And I knew that it was a really great job, but I knew that if I wasn't happy in a really great job, that maybe I needed to find an outlet for something else. And that's kind of when I started writing. I actually wrote on planes on my trips from Texas to New York or Texas to Europe because I don't like to fly. So I could take my laptop and write, and it distracted me. So my first couple books, were manuscripts, were written on airplanes. And wow. putting Not her in the fashion industry, putting, yeah, so putting Samantha in the fashion industry was kind of my way of sort of bridging those two worlds. Right. And she actually made the leap first where she left her job to move home and I continue to work, but I got to the point where I, I really realized that I needed to make a decision because I wasn't, I, I, I felt like I had an opportunity to either go one way or the other way, but trying to do both things wasn't working. And that was when I took the leap and became a full-time author. Hopefully not when you were on one of those flights. Um, so how, <laughs> moving by the chair out of the way, how long, um, were you writing while you were also a work-of-the-day job, trying to get published? Um, well, let's see. Uh, first, I started just writing things probably back in uh, 2002, 2003, 2004, was just trying to get manuscripts written, not knowing what to do with them or anything, but kind of like writing every day or writing every weekend, I guess, mm-hmm. and then printing out pages and stick them in a binder. And I didn't really start thinking about doing anything with them until, like, 2005 or 2006 and 2012 was when my first book was published my first short story was published before then like 2010 I think so that was my that was the first time there was a breakthrough so 2012 was your first uh, book published and when short story was before that I think short short story was I think 2010 or 2011 right around then was in a it was in an anthology so that was the first time I went from being unpublished to published. Had you jettisoned the day job yet? Story, so. I was still in the day job. I didn't leave the day job until 2013. Okay. You know, I, I call it a day job because I think of my myself, but you actually had a career that may not have been that easy to walk away from, financially speaking. Well, I, I, I walked away from it a little bit before I walked away from it because I was a buyer in Texas and – when I got to the point where I knew I wanted to focus on writing, I actually stepped off the career path and moved to California and took a job selling in one of the stores, in one of the retail stores. In stayed with the same company, and I represented a line and did more localized buying for them. But that limited me to 40 hours a week. And it gave me, like, I wrote on my lunch break. I kept a beat-up old laptop in the stock room, and every lunch break I would sit down there for an hour, and I would write, and then the hour would be done, and I'd go back out to my job. So that was a nice transition until I got, so, and, and I did that for six years. Six years, okay. Although yeah. I've been on it for longer than that, but uh, so you're obvious. It's funny because from looking at all the, we'll get to the number of books you've uh, published so far, and your career as a multi-published author, a hybrid author, but it's uh, you're obviously very. Um, focused and uh, disciplined 
But I, which made me think that you would not be, especially with so many series goings, that you would not be a pantser, that you would be someone who outlined. But you don't. Yeah, but everybody I, I, thinks that. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand. Plus, you were a buyer. I understand you know? that. Yeah, and I understand why. That makes total sense to me. And in fact, part of the problem I had with Panty Raid was. At the end of last year, I bought a course on plotting because I, I heard that so much and I thought, you know, if I learned how to plot, I could probably write faster. I could be more prolific. And wouldn't that be great because I have all these ideas. So I took the course and I said, I'm going to plot Panty Raid. I already know it's going to be in Paris. I already know it's going to be in the intimate apparel industry. I have a general idea what it's going to be about. And I, I wrote half of the book and it was the messiest thing. I mean, I have files and files and files of plots, but they... It, it lacks the excitement to me because then I sat mm-hmm. down and I would I would think well I don't I don't know where this is this doesn't this isn't exciting like this is a six sentence book because I just wrote six sentences of plot and that's the summary so I ended up putting it aside because I had to write something different which I pantsed finished that and then I came back to this and I struggled with it a little more and this is why I say I negotiated with my character I actually it was like a Wednesday and I was beating my head against a wall and I I said to her look, Samantha, if you want to tell me a different story, I'll give you two days this week and I will write a whole new story. And if you don't tell me a new story, I'm coming back to this messy draft and I'm going to figure it out. And so I took those two days and I went to the library and I wrote like 8,000 words in those two days. And I took the weekend off and I was so excited to get back to the draft on Monday. And that was the version that that's the version that it is. So everything else is just in a file someplace and it, it it hurts to, (laughs) to write that much and not use it. But well, it, this is so process. much more exciting. Yeah, for, and we didn't we didn't really uh, for though for I do we do have a lot of uh, writers at various levels of their career and craft to listen. Um, mm-hmm. Outlining is obviously it, it's self-explanatory. You spend a lot of time beforehand. You figure out everything that's going to happen more or less in the story. Writing by the seat of your pants is uh, well, you got an idea and you see where it goes. And, and sometimes you'll have a, a many times you'll have an ending and and you just got to figure out how to get there. Um, so mm-hmm. you, uh, we talked, we approached a little bit the, um, the number of books you've written, but not quite. So it's, it's June 1st. Your book comes out the 5th next Tuesday. Yes. Mm-hmm. Panty raid. I almost want to say panty raid a couple yes. more times. Panty raid. Panty raid comes out yes. June 6th. <laughs> um, Yes. But that's not your that's not your first book uh this year that's come out. And by my count, there's also Midnight Ice and the Pajama Frame from um different series, I believe. Did I miss a book or do you have four coming out this year or was that three so far? No, 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 you are correct. Now Midnight Ice is a novella that was previously in a collection. And well, that's cheating. Um, okay. I got the rights back on that. So exactly, that's totally cheating. Um, so that's not off. new, brand new. That just popped up. Exactly. That's me being a slacker. Uh, February, the pajama frame came out, and this is so. This will be my second full book this year. And we have anyway. six months to go. Actually, seven months to go. Really? Is that yeah. it for you this year? No. I know that book six in the Madison Knight series it comes out in October. That date's already set. Um, I'd like to do another Sylvia Stryker moon mystery, outer space mystery. Um, I could do that over the summer, and I'd love to put something else out by December, but <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be a brand new series, if it's going to be a standalone. It, I don't know. That's, that's too far ahead for me, so that's kind of still a mystery. Yeah. Uh... Whatever might happen by December. 
you might want to pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, so I've, I haven't <laughs> given the call in number. If anybody, anyone wants to call in and ask better questions than I have for Diane, the number is 347-884-8266. 347-884-8266. So we talked about a hybrid author, and a hybrid author is one who's traditionally published um, through a publishing house and one who self-publishes, and that's what you do, and that's why you're so busy. Um, wow, I don't know if you can hear that motorcycle. That's a little much. When did you decide to become hybrid? I started and my why? career self-publishing. Uh, you did? Uh, well, I, I, no, well, I say, the short story yeah. was traditionally published. Yeah. And then, um, I, and I had been querying for a while, and I felt I, I felt like I was on that hamster wheel where you're running to try to get ahead, but you're not getting anywhere. So I kept writing. So I was getting having completed manuscripts that I was querying, but as I was querying, I wasn't finding an agent, and I so I wasn't making any progress. And I started thinking about self-publishing. There was actually a California Crime Writers Conference that year, and, and what year was, I was that? So kind of. Uh, 2011, I think, was that like one. They're always in odd years. Yeah. And yeah, so it was it was a good one. And I, I I hadn't query. I think I sent one query letter that entire year, and the conference took place in June. So I was really kind of at that point where I just felt like it wasn't exciting anymore. All the rejection, just hearing, no, you're close, no, almost, no, maybe. It just it was frustrating. So I had taken some time off, and I went to that conference, and I sat through a panel on interrogation, and it struck me. It was so specific. One scene in my book that I had always loved because I thought it was funny, and I sat through that thing, and I thought, holy cow, that, that whole scene is, is not right. It's so far from right. It doesn't matter if it's funny. Anybody who reads it is going to put down the book because it's just wrong. But I was the flip side was I was excited to go home and change it. And I came home that night and I rewrote the scene and I was energized again. And then the next day at the conference, I sat through some more things. There were talks on self-publishing. And I, that's when I really started thinking, like, do I want to do this myself? It's a lot of learning. It's a lot of work. And can I do this? And if I do it, I don't want to have any regrets about it. So that was the big decision. And so I spent the, you know, the rest of that year. I gave myself like a year. I think the book came out about a year after that. But I gave myself time. I set up my imprint um, I printed up arcs. I did everything that I thought I would get from a traditionally published book that I that was within my control. And it felt so good to take control out of a situation where I felt like I had no control. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, that's what got me the traditionally published series with Penguin Random House. It was a direct result of me taking that first step. Which one's Penguin so Random with, with say, Penguin? Uh, that was uh, the Material Witness Mysteries and the Costume Shop Mysteries are both cozy series through them. And that okay. was, I always say my whole career path in writing, it was a case of, you know, when the door is closed, you go through a window. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it was because I tried rattling that door for years trying to go advance the way you're, you're here to advance. And it didn't really strike me at the time that I was doing it at the time when Kindle was out, you know, out, ebooks were exploding. Um, the economy wasn't great. So there were all these other factors happening, and I was trying to bully myself into the industry, and it was when I decided to go with a whole different plan that I ended up moving forward and starting to get the things that I had been trying to get all along. It's funny how it works. It was a big lesson. Mm-hmm. 
So how many books had you put out, uh, self-published, before you got the deal with Penguin? I put out Designer Dirty Laundry, and from there I was in talks with them about the Material Witness book. So they bought that series before I had a second book out. Um, cool. But by the time the first, I mean, they, it was like, I think when I signed the contract with them, my book didn't come out for another 18 months because they had so many books on their schedule. So yeah. I, got, I signed the contract relatively soon after Designer Dirty Laundry, but I had a while. To, the first book didn't come out until November of 2014, so it was about two years after the first book came out. And by the time it came out, I think I had three, four, maybe five books out. Um, yes. I just look, we got a question coming in from a listener who's having a cell phone problem. But um, so you, I have a, I had a question that you kind of answered because you, are you, so you're still doing, um, you actually have three traditionally published mysteries going, right? Series going, correct? Yes. yes. Now two of them are not currently continued two of them okay. uh, there were three book series and i wrote the three books and i'm i have ideas for the series but i'm not writing them so the madison Knight series that's the penary press is the traditionally published series that i have right now okay um the, but so you had two going with penguins so you had one going with uh henry and um kindle Lynn. so that so you have two that yourself Pubbing now. Yes. Okay. Because my yes, question was going to be, why so, yeah. did you, why did you choose to have so many different series as opposed to just having one or two and churning out the same number of books? But you really, it's sort of a matter of contracts for you in some ways. Yes. I, I and and honestly, I was never looking for a fourth. When I had the three, three was fine <laughs> with me. I I wasn't looking for a fourth. Um, but the opportunity for the costume shop series came up kind of spontaneously and I, I it just sounded like so much fun to be still there and I also think when you I'm still here you still there okay you lost in the closet for a second go ahead yes I'm still in the closet um I think when you hear no for a very long time you don't want to be the one to start saying no you know when, when other people other gatekeepers are saying no to you and all of a sudden they start wanting things you want to say yes to the opportunities because you know oh, yeah. it feels a lot better to have those opportunities. Do you ever have trouble um, separating the series characters when you're writing? Um, like, does one kind of sneak in when you're writing uh, the panty series, or that's not a problem? <laughs> um, it, it might be one or two lines of dialogue or one or two actions. It's not, it doesn't happen that often but every once in a while a character will say something and immediately I'll know like Madison wouldn't say that but Samantha would and I always kind of describe my characters by what they would do if they saw a suspicious white van on the street and like mm. one of them would take down the license plate one of them might knock on the window and ask what he's doing you know Samantha's the one who kind of like climbs in the back of the van to see what's going on so as long as I have my clear understanding of who they all are it's generally not more than like one line of dialogue before I have to stop and say nope wrong series uh, <coughs> nice um, so if you don't mind can you tell our listeners kind of the nuts and bolts of what it takes to, to uh, put out a self-published a quality self-published book um, well it's 
I think everybody has a different, everybody who does it has a different um, plan that they do, uh, a different routine they follow. For me, um, I have a draft, I polish the draft, I send it to an editor, I get back the edit and I go through all of her feedback and then I start my multiple reads to check the little things like the tweaking of the sentences and the flow and, and there's, I, if yeah. I move things around, there's, you know, have to find all that. So then it's like, read it out loud and read a printed copy and read it on the Kindle and read it on the Nook and, you know, every different version I can and then send it out to some beta readers and get feedback from them or to, if they caught anything. So there's a lot of that. Uh, in addition, there's the packaging of it. So it's formatting it for ebook and formatting it for print and assigning. There's all that little stuff like assigning an ISBN number, and mm-hmm. which everybody doesn't do, but I do. Um, oh, you should. I list all my books on Ingram because I want bookstores to be able to order them at standard you know, trade industry discounts. Mm-hmm. And my whole plan was always to, I mean, I have such fondness in my heart for libraries and for bookstores that I want to continue to put those books out, but be, um, a way, be as much of a partner as I can be, even though they're self-published, I want them to be able to still be able to order them as if they weren't self-published. So there's a little extra work that goes into all of that, but for me, it's worth it. So I how, do what, see myself what is- as part of a bigger industry. Right. What is what is the um, reception for your self-published books in libraries? It depends on the library. Uh, every once in a while, I'll take a day and I'll email some libraries and and uh, introduce the series to them. And and uh, you know, I usually get back. I, I've had people write back and say, "I checked them out. They look great for our collection." And then I'll see the sales, so I know that that's a nice thing. Um, I don't spend a ton of time on that just because there's only so much time in the day, and I've learned that my time is best used writing, either writing the next book or revisiting the manuscript before it's, you know, to get it polished and ready to go. So I used to spend a lot more time on those individual reach outs, but not as much now just because there's only so many hours in the day. So what about covers? Now I kind of rely on covers. um, I... I do what they tell you not to do. I design my own covers. I really love doing it. I, I'm self-taught, but I did some graphic work for the retailer that I worked for. And I study a lot of covers just to see what I like. So I do kind of use my own instincts for them. Well, they're really good. Your covers are really good. So well, obviously you. that the fashion background has paid off. Um, so there's, here's the uh, question that you don't have to answer if you don't want to. <laughs> How much do you think you invest uh, financially into each book? And like I said, if you don't want to talk about that, you don't have to. Oh, Be I can talk about that. Um, you know, I think it's over a thousand. That's not as much as I um, thought. It, it varies. I mean, it could be a lot more. I, I. I, I taught myself how to do a lot of stuff so that I could do it myself instead of farming it out. So it would be easier in a lot of cases to farm out more work, but that would cost more. So that's a decision that I made. And, you know, I, I'm not saying one's better than the other. It's just a decision I made. I really enjoy the learning. I enjoy the other aspects of figuring out how to do certain things. There's days that I, you know, bang my head against the desk. But I do kind of feel like this. There was something about the process that made me feel very alive in just learning something completely different that I didn't already know. 
the, all of these little things. I'm guessing the, doing your own cover save, that's probably the biggest that dollar saved right there, just a guess. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, there's there's people who you can pay for everything. There's people you can yeah. pay to write your back cover copy. There, you know, and there's cover designers and there's book packagers and you know everything. And and if you if you go that route, route that's fine. But you're going to lay out more money ahead of time, so then you have to make more on the back end to kind of cover everything. So it's they're all just individual decisions. I think that's right there is what I like about self publishing is that there are so many individual decisions. There's not one way to do it. So you you've been have as uh, much you right. So you've been um, writing full time since 2013. Is that what you said? Yes, around there, about midway through wow. the year. Five years. Good decision. Yes, I think I'm a much happier person in general. But well, that's important. It's, um, it's a lot more satisfying, you know. I think. My whole working career, I worked in a corporate environment. I worked for other people, and I learned a ton of things, and I learned a lot about business, which has all served me very well in this now. But I, when I work, I want to work a lot because I enjoy it, and I know the end result. So I think that's obviously a good decision. Well, I have a question from uh, Terrell Bird, who is a friend of the show, a frequent listener. Um, she's having phone problems, mm-hmm. but she wanted to, here's her question for you. Diane, if you could do, if you could go back in time, what helpful advice would you give yourself at the beginning of writing the first book? It's a good question. She should get it a, is a good a question. Show. And I have, I've actually thought about that. And this is going to sound funny after what I've said, but I think not to be in such a rush. I think there mm-hmm. was, there was a point there when I was so frustrated because I thought I should be further and I thought I should be getting breaks and I, I just felt like other people are getting opportunities and I'm not. And, and I didn't find my own path during that time because I was trying just like, it was like I was running in place and I was caught. And I think that's a big one, you know, kind of know where you're at in your career. I will say another major, major big thing for me was when I got into that first anthology, it was edited by a professional editor and that mm-hmm. feedback that I got was the first time my writing, a, a story of mine had ever been professionally edited. And that was the first time I had, instead of talking about giving someone, a, a friend, a manuscript, but actually having a professional who said, this works, this doesn't work, this is not how, what would happen at a crime scene, this, you know, and point out the things that I needed to learn. That was huge. And I almost wish I had thought to do that earlier get that advice so I would know that stuff when I went on to rewrite manuscript number one 14 times. 14 times? Pretty I good. don't know. I didn't keep count, but it was a lot. <laughs> sure. It, uh, so that was basically, she asked well, the, the question I was going to ask, um, but worded it better. Uh, what's next? What book? Yeah, if, or, you can keep tra- if you can keep track, what are you writing now? And then you mentioned it earlier what comes out when, but if, if you're not definite on yes. it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm writing the next moon, the next Sylvia Stryker outer space mystery. Um, kind of rethinking. Now that one's a weird one. I am rethinking titles because I mentioned the first one was Murder on Moon Trek One, and I thought I was going to do something like that for each book. And I told some readers, and they said, the problem with those titles is you can't keep track of what the book's about. 
And I thought that was a really good point. So I'm kind of rethinking the titles for that series, but that's what I'm working on next. Um, and then, like I said, Madison Knight number six comes out in October, and that is Lover Come Hack. Lover and Come that Hack? that has to do with a com- Yes, it's a computer. Oh, of course. <laughs> a computer hacker mystery. <laughs> Lover, oh, I thought it was Love or it. Lover Come Hack. Oh, yes, very good. Very Lover good. Come Hack, based on the Doris Day movie, Lover Come Back, and it has a computer virus, computer hacker subplot. Or not subplot, it's the main plot. And, um, and then after that, I don't know, I kind of started working on a paranormal cozy at one point, but I also have a standalone mystery that I thought, hey, no, I, after, this is a big thing for me. I don't want to feel like I'm writing the same book over and over again. And I know that mm-hmm. sounds funny, but I, I, that's one of the reasons I went to outer space, because I thought that's going to represent some challenges that I have not tackled yet. So when I wrote that first book, it was very freeing because I was completely making up this futuristic outer space, but I had to do a little bit of research that doesn't come naturally to me. Um, But it was fun. It was a lot of fun. So I'm writing the second one, and I was just rereading what I had written, and I thought, I don't even remember where I got some of this stuff. You know, sometimes you just sort of leave your own mind and write, and then you end up with the story. So that's why I did outer space, and that's why I'm thinking of going paranormal. Well, just to be clear, there is fashion in outer space then. Yes. Well, well, Sylvia Stryker is the uniform manager on the moon unit. <laughs> the moon That's unit. good stuff. That is really good stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like you have a very fertile mind. Like meets the love boat. <laughs> uh-huh. There you I go. I wanted to write an outer space cozy series for a while, and I didn't know what to do. And then one day it just came to me that she could be the uniform lieutenant, and that became the clothing hook. And I was like, okay, I can do it. That's my brand. I got it. And I just charged ahead with the, with the idea. So she finds a body in the uniform closet. And I really did try to write it. It's much more of a mystery than a science fiction book. It's it's meant to be a whodunit, like basically a locked room, you know, because they're on a spaceship. So people aren't coming and going. Everybody's on the ship. So right. it was more challenge. It was more focused on being an actual mystery. The, the, you got the perfect hook for when uh, Hollywood comes calling. Um, Star Trek meets a love boat. <laughs> what, what more do you need? Except, exactly. unfortunately, you might you might be talking to a 25-year-old producer who's going to go, what's a love boat? I know, exactly. That's the problem. <laughs> anyway, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, by the way, Terrell loved your answer. Um, thanks for oh, coming on and, and telling thanks us about... You bet. Telling us about your career and all your books. And um, I think people learned a lot today. And uh, it's... Obviously, it takes a lot of energy to do what you do, and it really comes across, and uh, your love for what you're doing comes across, too. So, um, God bless you. Keep it up. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. You bet. I will see you down the road. Sounds good. All right. Take care. I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Uh, In two weeks, we're going to go from Cozy's to Charles Manson. We'll have... Liz Wheel and Caitlin Rother uh, to, on to talk about their book on Manson. So uh, that'll be a new, new twist for us. And uh, this is a copyrighted podcast solely owned by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And I'll see you in a couple weeks.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.